Welcome to Savvy Talk Season 5. This time I'm joined by Salma El Wardeni. I'm a huge fan of her book, These Impossible Things, which really is a modern take on the Arab woman and tells these phenomenal stories of these women that everyone, I think, is going to really be able to relate to. Um, not only was this a book written by someone who I'm just a huge fan of, but it's actually one of the hottest books on the market that has been on all these global lists. And I'm really proud of Sadam and her work and had a really great and engaging conversation with her about this book and about how we can do better storytelling for women in general. So hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Please follow her and please grab a copy of this book. So I don't know anything about your backstory. So let's oh start there. <laughs> like, so you're Egyptian, you're Irish. Yeah, I'm culturally confused is what I am. Um, basically, the, okay, so I'll give you the, the yeah. origin story, if yes, you will. Please. Yes, please. Um, so born in Cairo, born in Egypt, Egyptian father, Irish mother, came back to England or came to England for the first time when I was about four years old. Uh, parents split up. My mum remarried a Pakistani man who has always been my dad because I always say it takes more than genetics to be a father. And he has been mine for the whole of my life. So I would always just call him dad, like never my stepdad. Um, so I was raised in Newcastle. So like the north of England, the last stop before you get to Scotland. Um, in this Irish, Egyptian, Pakistani world. Um, and then I studied there, I kind of did everything there. And then when I finished my master's, I came back to Cairo because Cairo was calling. Like we would go for holidays to see the family there, but I decided that's it. I'm going back to Mastery and it's calling me. So then I moved there for like two and a half months, uh, two and a half years, sorry. Uh, yeah lived in in Egypt for two and a half years worked on a horse ranch for a little bit just because you know it took my fancy uh worked on this horse ranch between Skandreya and Cairo for like five and a half months and then I thought you know what I'm ready to get a job in business I'm ready to enter the world of Cairo so I moved to the city and the, on the Thursday and the very next day was Hansa Shunia and the revolution started no way. yeah and then I was kind of in Cairo of the revolution and my mum and all of my expat friends you know their families were calling them and their their parents were bringing them back to like the states or yeah, UK or, or wherever it was because it was crazy and the the British embassy had put on a plane and was calling its citizens back and my mum my Irish mother she she called me and she she got on the phone and she said Salma get down to the street and go and fight for your country I was like, oh, okay. So okay. then I was protesting the revolution. But, you know, political unease and curfew can only take you so far. So two and a half years later, back back in England. Now I live in London. And okay. that's a very brief origin story. That's incredible. What was it like for you? Like, Did you feel when you went out in the street, like you were like Egyptian and Masri power and all this kind of stuff? Like, did oh. you just get like caught up in it? Because I was completely like pride, big time. Like, right? Just like so patriotic. You feel it, don't you? There is something so powerful in saying that you fought for your country, that you not only belong to this, but that you stood on a front line somewhere and fought for it in some shape or form. It was exhilarating. And I always say this, 
during the revolution at the start of it, I have never witnessed humanity in such a beautiful way. What people loved about that time, especially for me, is feeling that you're all in it together. Like everyone right. was like, the unity, like you said, was like the big thing. Oh. And it's just like, everyone was so patriotic. Didn't matter like where you stood on the fence, but just like you felt the right. need to like express yourself. And that was something that people hadn't done before. So right. it's just such a huge, huge challenge. Okay, so you live in the UK and you're a poet. Yes. You're an author. <laughs> like, what do you do? A bit of everything. Poet, author, uh, broadcaster. So I do a show on BBC Radio. And I also run a business for kind of working with companies on diversity and inclusion and how they change their cultures and how they hire, retain, attract diverse talent. So it's a bit of everything. I'm basically, my origin story is that I'm culturally confused and tired. That's it. That's what I am. No, you are a phenomenal author. So let's jump into this. So how you came into my scene and in my world is I love books. I'm obsessed with books. And I follow like a lot of different media outlets and people who have book clubs. And, you know, Reese Witherspoon has one and Oprah has yeah. one. Today Show has one. And they're like, we're really proud of this Egyptian author who's coming onto the scene. I saw Amy obviously posted about it, but I really saw Jenna Bush Hager pushing you in the spotlight, her book of the month. Yeah. She was highlighting you, a page turner. She was gushing about you. And then you went to New York. So how did you, A, tell me the process of like writing this book, telling this story, and it got so many accolades. It was like in not just the Today Show, Mary Claire and Forbes and the book to watch. And it just did so well. And I was so proud for you because one, we want to see more um, authors that tell our stories about- yes women about taboo topics like things that we really can see ourselves in representation but i know i'm talking a lot because i'm so 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 excited about the book but talk to us about the book writing it the storyline going to new york the whole thing yeah and you know you probably you see it don't you when you see another egyptian in the spotlight you're like oh hang on wait that's one of mine that's one of mine and it is it's so exciting um and i know i felt that when i've seen women of color and especially Middle Eastern Arab women and especially women from Egypt. I just say, yes, our stories are coming into the light because they have been for so long pushed into the shadows and into the darkness mm -hmm. and not, we've never been given a chance to actually tell them authentically. So the book, the first genesis of the book, I did my degree in literature and I did my master's in literature. And so for my master's thesis, I studied the representation of Muslims within literature. And so for 12 months, I poured over literature from the States, literature from the UK, New Zealand, Australia, what we kind of class as like the Western demographic, right? Um, yep. And the conclusion ah, was so bad. It was, and then you know this already, right? You know how bad that representation is. And we only fit into one of three categories. So we were either, you know, I don't know, like, Disney, Aladdin, in the desert, we have 60 camels. Um, and uh, we were either that, that, or we were the terrorist, or we were like this Western, you know, character who had been freed from the shackles of oppressive religion and oppressive cultures. Yeah. And now we were, you know, we'd seen the light. And I remember going through this and thinking, yep, that's not anyone that I know. That is none of my girlfriends. We loved our faith and we loved our cultures and we were enriched by those cultures and we went out and had sex and got drunk and just lived all of these very normal lives that everyone was living 
Um, and there's that quote by Toni Morrison that if you want to read a story that's not out there, then you should write it. And so I thought, okay, I always knew I was going to be an author, but it was after that I thought this has to be the first book. We have to take uh, take ourselves out of the shadows. And so that's where the genesis of it comes from. And the book is, in a nutshell, it's three women. They are all from different cultural backgrounds, three Muslim women. And they're all ambitious and hungry and dealing with different things, you know, from work to family to relationships and just going through life in the same way that we all do. And they have this added complexity of culture and faith on top of it. And I wanted to really write a story that was about three women who happened to be Muslim. Mm -hmm. I wasn't writing a story about three Muslim women and we're going to talk about the faith and this is everything about it, right? They just so happened to be. That wasn't the main story. It was a side aspect of their backgrounds because we don't see that enough. We have to be a very specific character when it comes to, you know, Arab women. We play a very specific role in media, in entertainment, in literature. And I was sick to death of that role. Um, so that's where the book comes from. And then it's so beautiful that it's had the reception that it has and I'm so humbled and insanely grateful that it has because awesome. it also just is testament to what you and I know and have known for decades that our stories are there and they need to be told and there is such a big audience for them we're not some, right we're not some tiny niche market we're a dominant audience and they want to hear those stories what has been the reaction to your book? Because you do talk about some topics that people don't normally broach upon, all that type of things. Like some, some of them are taboo and some of them are not, but like they're based in reality. They're not based in um, virtual reality or fiction. So <laughs> tell us a little bit about that. Like what has been the reaction to the book on the good side and the negative side? Because it's also sparking un incredible conversations, right? Which I hope it is, because that's what I, I wanted it to do. And I am someone, and I'm sure you will relate to this, I mm -hmm. always say the thing that everyone's thinking that no one wants to say. And I've been like that since I was a kid. I say the thing out loud and everyone kind of goes, um, but I, you were all thinking it, right? Yes. <laughs> um, and so I really get frustrated by that as well. It really just drives me mental when I can see, it's illogical to me. I can see we're all thinking it. So why aren't we just talking about mm -hmm. it? Because we obviously all need to talk about it. There is an obvious need here. So that really frustrates me. And that's why I wanted to address some, like you said, taboo topics. You know, these are women, you know, the characters in this book, they are sexual and passionate and they have these big, heavy desires and ambitions and they're hungry and they go after them and, the things that they want are not riddled and laced in shame. They are women who are totally fine with the things that they want and the desires that they have, and they go out and get them, like most women I know do, right? Um, and that's what I really wanted to touch on. The complexities that women go through, you know, there's abuse, there's sexual abuse, there's loads of really difficult things. And I remember one of my friends reading it really early on before it came out, and she said to me afterwards, she said, God, you really put these women through it didn't you like they really went through it the, the women in these in this book and I looked at her and I said yeah but haven't we all and she just said yeah it's you know it represents what's actually happening behind closed doors that we didn't talk about what do you right. think like I, and one of the things that I struggle with in you know I I born and raised in the U.S. grew up here lived here most of my life moved back to the Middle East for like 23 years I was in Egypt for 15 Dubai for eight 
And I was like, someone, people used to ask me all the time, like, who's your role model? Like, who's the Arab female role model? Mm -hmm. I always struggled with that question. Like, because the only people that were public figures were like first ladies or, mm -hmm. you know, there weren't a lot of, you know, pop star. Like, there, like it was like either an Arabic pop star who I didn't find to be a role model at the time right. or, or like a first lady, which also wasn't like, not something I looked up to, but what would you do? What do, how do you answer that question? Like, cause when we think about Arab women, and this is something that I think is like at the crux of your book of like who we are, how to be authentic, what we are as a, as a, as a, not a, just a gender, but like a powerful audience, like you talked about in the beginning, like, how do you answer that question? And I struggle exactly the same as you, right? I'm like, um, and I find so much of, Arab women in the spotlight is so laced with sensibility politics. So I always wonder if that is truly them because I always feel like there's a PR script happening every single time mm -hmm. or they're trying to please this huge swathe of, you know, may maybe it's a, an Egyptian audience, right? And trying to please all of Egypt, you know, Art. you can't, you can't be, right. And you can't be any of anything. And you will know from your line of work that if you want to tell a story authentically, and if you want to garner and build an audience, yeah, you too. have to be authentic. You have to be yourself. When you're trying to people please, you're not going to build that audience. You're not going to be able to tell that true story. So I was exactly the same like uh, like you. I didn't have those those Middle East and those Arab women that I looked up to. The closest is genuinely Um Kulthum. And that's because my mum was obsessed oh, and that. would constantly talk to me about Um Kulthum when I was a kid, sing me her songs when I was a baby. That's as close as, as we got. When I think about it today, it's genuinely the other Arab women that I know, you know? Mm -hmm. Women like yourself, women like our friend Amy, you know, I look up to the, the Arab women around me and I go, God, you're amazing. Like you help me and you show me how to be myself in all of those forms. Yeah, for me, it's a multi-layered answer. Like before, I didn't really have an answer, but now I'm thinking, oh, that woman who did that startup, she's inspiring to me. Or right. that person who created a company addressing something that's very like different than what other people are used to doing. Like it might be a founder of a of a company or a person who's active in something she really believes in. Like mm. it could be anybody. That's that's right. the question now. Like before it was a person in power, a position of stature, like somebody who mm. had a title. And now it's right. like, it's really a role model for me it is like somebody who's accomplished something that was difficult to do or led by an example or is really creating change. Because I think right. one of the things we love to see and we're inspired by are people who are making a difference. That's why like you stood out to me. I'm like, oh my God, she's creating change. She's creating a conversation. She's using words, poetries, books to tell stories, which is like, you know, a lot of people, you know, I'm a huge book person. So like mm. for me, I pick up books. I, I like the hard books. I don't like getting the ebooks. Like right. yes. books. I want to hold the pages and turn <laughs> them. So for me, like that's, that's so important to, to, for, for me, but a lot of people have a different experience. Um, what's like the biggest thing, like when you look at books, like what inspired you? Like what books made a difference in your life? Oh, do you know what? I'm exactly the same as you. Such a bookworm. And I grew up like, and you know how important stories are and how they shape yeah. us. Stories shape the world. And I remember this quote, I think it's from 
Philip Pullman, who wrote Northern Lights. And he said that after uh, water, food and companionship, stories are the things we need most in the world. And I really feel that, you know, we think in stories, we remember in stories, everything in our life is just a huge story that we're living out. Um, and, and exactly the same. When I was a kid, it was books. I used to read nine books a week because that was the maximum I could take out from the library. And then every Thursday I would go and I would give back the nine books and then take another nine out. And we didn't have a TV growing up. There was no TV and we still don't have one in our family home. So it was just, my nose was in a book constantly, right? That was my TV. Um, and you know, like one of my favorite books, Little Women. And I remember the first time I read Little Women. And when I got to that scene that we all know, you know, when Beth dies, I, if, if I've spoiled that for anyone, you should have read it by now. But yeah. um, <laughs> when I got, and I remember reading it for the first time on a train and just, sobbing and like the tears pouring down my face you know I remember books like Rebecca from Daphne du Maurier just completely changing my idea of what a book could do to you you know I remember reading Toni Morrison and thinking how can so much pain be expressed and communicated on a page and then thinking I want to do that I want to be the person that is able to move someone in that way and bring them to tears or make them feel shocked or transport them to a completely different world you know yeah, that's incredible. I, I Little Women's a great one. I think, mm. what are you reading now? What I'm reading right now is, oh my God, where is it? It's on my bedside table. It's um, this one, which I picked up when I was in the States, actually, more than you'll ever know. Oh, I've heard that's um, so good. Right, so have I. So I've just started it, and it was on a recommendation by Ashley yeah, Andres, who is another author that I completely adore. So when I respect authors and they tell me to read something, I'm like, okay. So this is what I'm reading right now, and it was another book club pick. And I thought, you know what? In the month that I was picked for the Today Show's book club, I wanted to read all the other picks from all the other book clubs. So this is the, I think, the um, Good Morning America book club pick for for. For July, I, I saw that on the list, and I think I even saw it like an Oprah's magazine. I'm actually reading a couple of books at the same time, just because I'm in different moods to pick things up. <laughs> um, yes. Anna Wintour's uh, biography. Oh yeah, which is stunning. That? She came from. Um, I didn't know this. Like, this is why you read these books. But her father was like the I don't know what the name of the Evening Standard or the the, the newspaper in London was back in the day but yeah. he was the editor and publisher of this very big newspaper in the UK and she grew up in this editing publishing family wow. in the UK which I have no idea so that's fascinating and then um I'm trying to just I'm almost done I like probably this weekend I'll be done with it um Huma Abdeen's book it's I, do you know who she is she used to work for Hillary yeah. Clinton oh. she's her story. She's been in Saudi, so she's fascinating. And then I, I my sister gave me um, a copy of Where the Crowd Dads Sing. Oh yeah, I've heard lots about everybody. It. Everybody I know has read that book except for me. And now the movie's out, so I'm like, I gotta catch up. But I'm actually getting through that one pretty quickly. It's really good. So how I'm are you finding it? Because I've heard very mixed things about it. No, I'm into it now. It took me a while. Okay. Like, the first couple chapters, I wasn't into it, but I. Here's the thing I've been thinking about when I read that book, like the author, and that's your role and what you do, like how you really have to paint a picture with words, mm -hmm. put them in that story. Like she's right. describing like the marsh and the clothes and the smells and the, there's so much detail in the language. I'm like, the word is so powerful. 
yeah, it's amazing. And when I think about words and what they can do, and I think about it, when I think about Egypt as well, right, and how the revolution started and how social media played such a huge role in that and people telling their stories on social media played such a huge role in that. And I think the words that you use and how you scramble them together have the power to bring people to their knees, have the power to make you rise higher than you ever thought that you could. And that's remarkable to me. It blows my mind. No, but like, how do you write a dialogue for somebody? I'm like, are you going to write movies? Are you going to write scripts? Do you know what? It's so funny because a few people have asked me that based on the dialogue in this book. And someone said to me, did you write this book for it to be on the screen? And I said, no, that was never my intention. I just listened to all the voices in my head all the time. (laughs) There's always so many conversations going on in my head. And my characters are literally in my head, my head talking to each other. And then I just jot it down <laughs> i know like yeah i felt like i was there witnessing the conversation between the two best friends and the boyfriend and like how do you write like i whenever i see that on film i'm just so so captivated by that process so are you gonna write another book i've written it already i wrote it in january so i wrote it before this one even came out because i remember very consciously thinking i need to write it before this one hits because i don't want any of the like second album pressure, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't want any. I don't want any of that, and I don't want to have everyone's feedback, negative and positive, in my head whilst I'm writing it. Right. So it's like it has to just be written before this one comes out. So I've written it, and right now I'm in the process of editing it, and it's nothing to do with this book. It's a completely different story. Of course, it's centered around women because I'm obsessed with the stories of women and women's yeah. lives, um, and it's. Personally, I love it even more than I love this one that's out. <laughs> really? So wait, how long does it take you to read a book? So um, a month, basically, right? So I wrote th- these impossible what? things. I know, but I say it and people get so cross with me and I'm starting to feel like I should make that's up a lie so about amazing. it. Like, it so you just it. like, you just sit in a zone and you just like... So what I did is for these impossible things, I had signed with my agent and I hadn't sent her what I should have. And when I signed with my agent, I totally lied. I was like, yeah, the whole book's written. The book wasn't written. I had like two chapters and lots of ideas. And I was like, yeah, it's it's basically done. And I had sent her the first two chapters and, you know, I'd had, I had lots of meetings with other agents and I said the same thing to everyone. I was like, it's pretty much written. It wasn't written. And then time passed and I hadn't gotten my agent the manuscript obviously and I hadn't worked on it and there was lots of other things I was busy with work and then we eventually had a conversation and she was like I need this manuscript and I said okay realistically speaking when do you need it for it to be published like in the next publishing run when would you need it by and I had this conversation on the first of May and she said I need it by the end of the month and I went okay no worries I'll get it to you by the end of the month And every day I wrote 5,000 words and I had a calendar hanging in my kitchen and every, like a physical calendar. And every day I would write my word count, how many words that I had managed that day. It had to be minimum 5,000 and it was never below. And some days I wrote 7,000, a few days I wrote 10,000 words a day. And every single day my day would not start or end until those 5,000 words were on the page. And sometimes it would take two hours, three hours. Sometimes it would take 10, but by the end of the month, it was done and I sent her the whole thing. That's incredible. Yeah, and then I did the same thing for my second book that I you wrote in January. You feel like you were like writer's block or pressure or like, oh my God, this, ha- I mean, tomorrow, okay, today I got 5,000 done. Tomorrow I got to wake up and do another five. No, do you know what? I was just in this. You know, when I look back on it, I feel physically nauseous at the volume <laughs> of output 
that came out of me and the energy level that I had to sustain you had, you had to do energy. that, right? It's terrifying. But just before I wrote it, and it was just before lockdown, actually, I was in Nigeria with Bernadine uh, Evaristo and she had just won the Man Booker Prize. And we were both there because we were both performing at the Lagos International Poetry Festival. And I remember chatting to Bernadine and I said to her, what do you do when you have writer's block? And she looked at me and I'll never forget this. So with such kind of disgust, and she looked at me so witheringly and she just said, writer's block isn't real, it doesn't exist. And I went, ah, okay. So no, there's no writer's block. You sit down and you write, that's it. It's, it's a discipline and it's hard work. It's sweat inducing and it's backbreaking and it's awful and it's terrible. I would never advise that anyone become a writer, but it's uh, you just have to be committed to it. So I, I have always had a goal of, I want to write a book and I want to tell my story. Yes. So um, just multiple things like growing up in the US, being a Muslim, no one really knew what that yeah. was. No one knew what Ramadan was. Like I was cultural, I was like diversity in my school. Like there was no African-American kids or Asian, nothing. Mm. And just like that whole experience of teaching my parents about American culture and like just that whole upbringing. Do we put up a Christmas tree? Do we don't? Like we live right. here. Like all those things that you yes. go through, like we're, we are living in America and we're essentially within the four walls of our house. Right. It's Egypt. It's like the rules, the food, the air, the music, the, everything we yeah. enter our house is Egypt. You open the door, you're in America. But so like that kind of thing. And then moving back to Egypt and like just that whole experience of like, I go to Egypt every summer or for Christmas and New Year. Like I went there a lot. I had friends of my cousins. Like I didn't really, you know, living one place is different than going on vacation. And just like the whole process of being back in Egypt and what I did and what happened on January 25th and working for these different companies and just my whole experience. Anyway, so I really want to write this book and I'm like, okay, that's it. It's been on my list of things that I want to do. And I've started like writing pieces, talking Mm. to talking to different uh, propose, like people coming with proposals. And it's not like yours. Yours is like, you have a story, you get an agent, you put a manuscript. Like you didn't have to do a book proposal, right? I did not do a book proposal, no. And thank God, because they're the worst. They're awful. And I just feel like they get in the way of the actual writing. But Yeah, but that's the hard. So like my process is different than yours because you're right. writing those kind of books. Anyways, long story short. And everyone's process is so different, right? And I always stress this. And people say to me, like, how did you do it? Or how did you get published? And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's really hard. It's a it's closed door hard. industry. And then if you are of color and then of a different faith, that becomes even harder and and everything is doubled down a lot more. Yeah, sure, we're we're making progress, but we're not there yet. We're a really, really long way from there. And what I will say is in 2013, I sent initial, the first chapters, which admittedly were in a very different shape to the first chapters that you see and you read in the book now, but it was the same concept. Character names were different, but the same characters. And I sent those initial chapters to publishers in 2013. And no one would touch it. No one wanted to touch it. No one wanted to take me on. No one wanted to touch that, right? And um, it was at a time where the the media was just every day reporting a damning headline on something to do with Muslims. Islamophobia was just whipped into this frenzy in the media. You know, the Paris bombings had happened. Uh, The Charlie Hedbo thing had happened where their offices then got bombed. You know, it was a really politically tense time no one would touch this. And I got the sense that they liked the writing, they liked the actual craft of the work, 
but this was too contentious for them to touch, you know? They were not ready to touch a story about brown Muslim women. They wouldn't go near it. And um, and at the time I was working in London and I used to work in marketing, right? This is how I set up my own company. And I was working in marketing. I was heading up this marketing department, working in corporate 12 hour days. And I got all these rejections. And I remember thinking, okay. And I remember I said it to my flatmate at the time. I said, okay, well, if you hold the community, you hold power. So I'm just going to build a brand and eventually they will come knocking on my door for me in this book. And that's when I started my Instagram and I started building that brand. And eventually via that brand, they came knocking. That's amazing. Yeah. And by the way, that's one thing too. It's like, you think no one wants to hear your story or they don't want it because they haven't had anything like it before. But that's exactly the reason why the point, right? your story is because there isn't enough stories out there like that. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. You should 100% write it. You have a remarkable story. And I don't even know the full ins and outs. I know, I need to you give need to full. write it. I am. I'm doing it. I'm doing it now. I'm getting yes. help doing that process. I got an agent. And so like now we're doing that process. But like, I feel like it's almost like for me, like I want to tell my story. But I also feel like going back to that question about like role models and inspiring people. I'm like, why don't we share what we did? Because that might help one person or one Arab girl who hasn't had that role model look up to or somebody to be inspired by or a story of like, you know, I mean, my story is kind of laced, not just with the business stuff, but like both of my parents were really sick, you know, the obligation and duty to your family, dealing with the identity of like when I was in the U.S., people didn't like they're like, oh, you're you, you know, my hair. I, my, my name is Maha Bulani and I'm I'm dark hair, dark skin. But then when I go to Egypt and I start talking, they're like, oh, you're not Egyptian. Like your English is right. You're in school, you know, it's like, yeah. well, where did you go to school? like, where are you from? I'm like, I'm Egyptian. They're like, no, where really are you from? Like that whole question. Right you know now that you shouldn't ask somebody that question, like, where are you really from? It's like right. an ally. That's like language that we shouldn't use with other people because it makes them feel less important or like- Right, and just dis displaced, right? It's that sense of not belonging anywhere. And I, I, I so resonate with that. I gave, in, my, in one of my TED Talks, the, the talk is called, Where Are You From From? And yeah. it's exactly that and how that lack of belongs. I, I would get exactly the same, you know, here in the UK, they look at me and they go, oh, you're a bit exotic. Where are you from? Really? Mm -hmm. um, and then when I'm in in Egypt and I'll, I'll speak in Arabic a little bit and they'll laugh at me and say, you know, Agnabeya, right? Yeah, I so, right. And so I'm like, but hang on, who's going to claim me? And I said, you know, my lack of belonging has been one of the hardest things in my life. It's been the greatest sadness of my life, not belonging anywhere and searching for your tribe or for your people and never having a foot in both worlds, always halfway in and halfway out. And God, I, I, I kind of resonate with that so much. You, yes. you absolutely should write that. Yes. And I think that's so many people are going through that, especially like if they mm -hmm. Overseas to go to college or come back or their parents move and then they want to know more about their identity and they want to be back in Egypt, but then they feel like they don't really belong there because right. they don't have a shilla and they don't have, you know, <laughs> Daddy has a company that's given them all these opportunities. Like it's different. Right. Exactly. It's really different. So the fact that you went back and you spent time there, it's like bull because I mean, obviously you didn't, you were living in the UK and you decided I want to go back. Like I applaud that so much because it's so hard to do. 
It is hard. And, and it was down to pure stubbornness. And I remember thinking, I was born here. This is my country and I will claim it if I want to. And it is hard when you don't have two parents that are from the same place, right? So mm-hmm. I have an Irish mother and my the dad that raised me is Pakistani, right? Because my dad, they, yep. they separated and then he died when I was younger. And so you're always coming home and neither of your parents look like you. I didn't look like my Pakistani stepfather. I didn't look like my my white, green-eyed Irish mother either, right? So you don't look like anyone and you don't have two parents from the same place to go home to and, and hang out with their aunties, you know? My family is from a father that I never knew who's dead, right? Like, how then do you claim that as as your own country? And if you don't have a family home to return to, like I have Egyptian friends here in London, right? And they go back to the family home that's always there and ready and yeah, waiting. Always and, open whenever they want to go back. Exactly. And the driver's going to pick them up from the airport and there's going to, someone's going to help them get all the things that they need. And I'm sitting there going like, oh, shall I Airbnb? Because yes, my family, like I have cousins there, but also I don't want to impose. And yes, we know each other, but maybe I, you're not that well that, you know, it is hard, but yeah, you kind of just have to be stubborn and like dig your heels in. What's next for you? <laughs> Finishing the second book, editing that up and getting it out into the world. Um, when does and it come worked... out? Wait, wait, wait. When does it come out? TBC. Publishing is a long, it takes, like, publishing set their schedules 18 months in advance. So minimum it's going to be 18 months. And I'm working on something that I'm not allowed to talk about publicly. I'll tell you later. Um, but uh, that is kind of taking precedent, which is taking me away from the book editing right now. So there things are coming I promise that sounds so ambiguous I hate that no no I I just want to be I want to be close to you so I'm like I just need to figure (laughs) out what do I need to do to help her what do I need to do to bring value to her how can I help talk to you about your book or your story I really want my audience to know who you are and to learn about your book and I'm gonna put a a thing in it so we can like make sure we plug it and you're like my my author friend uh, and you're going to be my author friend. I know, like she's like my author friend who like does kick ass things and talks about <laughs> things. The story is incredible. The book is so well written. The storyline is one that needs to be told. And I'm really, mm. really um, proud of you and excited for you. Great to like Thank do you. More coming soon. Come. Thank you, you my coming. love. Thank you for listening to Savvy Talk. I'm Maha Bulanin. Follow us on Instagram at Maha Geber and Digital and Savvy for more information, including some snippets and highlights of the upcoming guests and talks. Anyways, all's good in the world. Hope you guys are great, staying healthy and safe. And uh, thanks for listening. Bye.